0: Good morning. It's great to be in the house with you. Before we dive into the message and the teaching this morning, I want to let you know about something that we're doing as a church this year. As we kind of spur the horse to the barn on 2023, we are coming together as a church family. As we think about Christmas gifts that we'll be giving to people on our list, think about how that all works out. As a church family, we want to come together and pray about giving our greatest gift, to the work of Christ in this world, through his church, and so I want to ask you, if you will join Julie and me as we pray together about making a gift, a sacrificial end of year gift above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings that will go to moving the purposes of God forward in this world. Some of you may remember a few months back we took kind of a snapshot of the health and welfare of the church and A lot of what we learned through that snapshot on that particular Sunday is what is driving our initiatives, our goals for 2024 as a church family. So let me just let you know, this is not only about the greatest gift at the end of this year, but it's also about 2024. There are three things that we are really, really going to double down on in addition to all of our other ministries in the new year. The first of these is evangelism. Everybody say evangelism. Evangelism just means telling good news. We are committed to telling as many people as we possibly can the best news that the world has ever known about Jesus Christ. So, in the new year, we're going to invest more in our staff. We're going to invest more in our methods, in what we do to get the word out about who Jesus Christ is. The second thing that we're going to really, really invest in is community. We want to amplify and ramp up the connectivity quotient of the family of faith so that when somebody comes to Lake Hills Church, for them to get to be a part of the church and not just go to church actually becomes a much, much more fluid thing. And so that's a big emphasis for us in the new year, as well as always students and next gen ministries. We have got such an amazing opportunity with our student ministries, our next-gen ministries. You just saw Andrew Tremonti, our family pastor. He oversees everything from birth through high school. And we're gonna be adding staff and ministries and means to reach students and the next-gen in this new year. So that's where that's going. I will tell you, our annual budget is around $6.1 million dollars. And as a general rule, we see about 20% of that come in at the end of the year. Now, if that doesn't keep you on your knees praying for the Lord to be faithful, as he has always done, let me tell you something, it will keep you on your knees. So again, thank you for your generosity so far, and we want to invite you to be a part of the greatest gift. As we pray and ask God, we're hoping and praying that about $1.2, $1.4 million will come in in this end-of-year season. So we invite you to be a part of that. If you're a member of Lake Hills Church, if you consider this your church home, if you're just a guest or visiting, disregard everything that I just said. That's not for you. It's just for our in-house folks, the greatest gift. All right, turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm in. I like that. That's great. That's awesome. You know, the greatest gift really I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a better description of what Advent and Christmas is all about. Christmas is, of course, about the greatest gift, the most quoted, probably most well-known verse in the entire Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says this, and I want you to do this with me if you will. Read the highlighted words out loud. Even if you know this verse by heart and you've had it since Moses was a baby, I want you to read it. Like it's the first time like you are reading it with everything that you've got, especially the highlighted words, say it out loud with me. John 3:16, "For this is how God loved the world." What does it say? He gave. He gave, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. He gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus Christ. You know, gift giving, of course, is a big part of Christmas. And we took a little informal poll last weekend to see who is a little stressed about their gift on their list and the people that they're giving to this year. And it wasn't universal, but there were some people who were lying. There were some people who did not admit to being a little bit stressed out. My wife Julie and I have been married for 32 years and I still get a little bit anxious about buying her presents, largely because she's not a big present person. Now, you may be thinking, well, Mac, then you're off the hook. (laughs) You are either single or about to be if you think that. we do, we, we, get, we get amped up and start thinking about it, like, what do you want, I'll ask her, what do you want, Because I don't want anything, and, and I think she really believes that, but I also know when we get up on Christmas morning and there's a present there for her from me, there's a big old smile on her face, and we just get along better for that whole day, Gift giving is a part of Christmas. It it literally moves the needle on the worldwide economy. And so I think instead of, you know, standing up here and railing against materialism and the commercialization of Christmas, that's, can I, that's too easy a sermon. That, that's just like, that is low hanging fruit. What if instead you and I were to do this? What if we were to take the full force of that focus and use it to help us focus our hearts and our minds and our lives on the greatest gift, on the fact that God so loved you, God so loved me that he gave his one and only son. And we use that not just for this season, but to, to stay mindful, to stay heartful of the reality, of the, the significance, of the power, of the depth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I've said before in my spiritual journey, and I've heard other people say, oh, I just want to go deeper. And, and we do, and we should May I just suggest to you today, there is nothing deeper than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing more profound than the fact that God so loved you that he gave his only son. You tell me what's deeper than that. You you could quote Greek and Hebrew root verbs into the sunset, And there is nothing deeper than the gospel, the good news, because God so loved that he gave his son. Now, we see that, and we see God so loved the world. And and I don't know if you do this, but when I do that and I I first glance at it, I, I think of a globe, you know, for God so loved the world and, you know, what Carl Sagan used to call the cosmos. And that's true but it's primarily about the fact that God so loved people. And while the content of this passage is widely known, how many of y'all remember back in the day on Monday Night Football, do you remember the guy with the rainbow afro that held up the sign John 3.16 on every extra point? How many of y'all remember that? Everybody over the age of 45. I love it. The content of John 3, 16 is widely known, but the context is not as widely known. These are actually the words of Jesus himself, and they they were uttered in a late night, clandestine, off-the-books conversation that Jesus had with a religious scholar, a, a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he came to see Jesus in the middle of the night, and Nicodemus did something really, really profound. You you can tell from the scripture that Nicodemus was intrigued, that he had an intuition about Jesus, but rather than just accept the party line for or against Jesus, he followed up his intrigue and his intuition with investigation. Nicodemus did the homework. He did the legwork personally to investigate Jesus. I think a lot of times it's possible that people who don't believe in Jesus, quote unquote, can't even really articulate why they don't believe. They just parrot the party line that they've heard from so many other people instead of doing the homework. It's actually kind of intellectually lazy sometimes. Instead, be like Nicodemus. If you're a a skeptic, if you're a questioner, if you're just checking things out for the first time, man, first of all, we're thrilled that you're here. But second of all, I want to challenge you. Don't be lazy. Do what Nicodemus did and do the homework for yourself. You investigate this, Jesus. You read John, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Read the New Testament. Read what Scripture tells us about Christ and see if it doesn't ring true. True. This is what Nicodemus was doing. And and he started the conversation with Jesus by by calling him rabbi. He said, teacher, rabbi, we we know that you have been sent from God because of the miracles and the signs and the wonders that you perform, but what's really going on here? And this is where Jesus told him, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, this scholar of Jewish law, looked at Jesus and was like, kind, kind of like a... I pictured this, this exchange kind of like, have you ever had like a Labrador puppy kind of go, hmm. When Jesus said, you must be born again, Nicodemus went, hmm. Kind of cocked his hands like, born again? And Jesus said, I, obviously, I'm not talking about physically. But unless somebody is born of water and of spirit, Jesus said. The Holy Spirit has to move in somebody's life. God has to initiate this grace initiative that the person responds to, and that that is a, a miracle and a mystery in itself. But that's how it happens. When a person comes to new life, that's what Jesus meant when he used the phrase born again. That you have new life in Christ. Because God so loved you that he gave his only son. You know, I remember when our kids were growing up, when Throughout the year, we, we had in our house this little little small closet that was under the stairwell on the, on the ground floor of our house, and it was probably four feet high and about seven or eight feet deep, had a little half door, and throughout the year, the kids had the run of the place. We, we called that the spy hideout, and that was where they could go in there, and, and they had an old telephone that they had set up on a little table in there, and they could practice their spy craft, but... Round about Thanksgiving, mom and dad took over the spy hideout, and that was where we stored Christmas presents as we kind of stocked them up leading up to Christmas. And our friends would look at us like we had three heads, and we'd go, well, you know the kids are going to look in there. And we went, no, they're not. No, because they understand if they even think about <laughs> snooping or sneaking are looking through presents before Christmas morning, not Christmas Eve, Christmas morning, the biblical time to open presents. (laughs) If they even think about it, that will be the saddest, loneliest Christmas they ever have because every present's going to the missions closet at the church. Now, you may be thinking, preacher, you're kidding yourself. Your kids snooped. I did some homework of my own this week. I texted our two children who were living with us at the time, Joe and Emily. They're now 29 and 27 years old, so the statute of limitations has run out on any crimes they may have committed back down the road. And I told them that. I said, but my question is, did you ever sneak a look? Let me, let me just read to you their responses. This was this week, 29 and 27 years old. The older Emily: "Deaf, not." I don't think Joe did either. We were such rule followers for real. And not ruining Mom's Christmas was a thing way before marrying well. It's a direct quote. It's a direct quote. This was Joe's response, with no punctuation. Not a chance I was way too scared. So with with complete humility, we did a good job on that. We scared the snot out of them. But we wanted them to understand that the gifts that they might receive on Christmas were not things they were entitled to. They were not things that they deserved because they woke up every day In the house that Julie and I provided for them. It was truly gift giving. You see, for God so loved the world that he gave. That means that you can do nothing, I can do nothing to earn the gift of Christmas, the greatest gift. You you can't be a good person to get to heaven, it's a gift. You can't keep more rules or follow more rituals than the next guy because it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. It is grace. It is unmerited, undeserved, unearnable favor from a God who loved you so much that he dreamed you up. I mean, That is a staggering reality. It's a gift. And that's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. That's that's what gift-giving at Christmas is really all about. And so today's take-home, if you will, is, I think, painfully and profoundly simple. It's painfully simple because... You're going to hear what the take-home is, and you're going to be like, I knew that. And yet, we lose sight of it. And yet, we continue to struggle to hang on to the depth and the profundity of the gospel. Three things to remember about giving. Number one, giving impersonates God. Giving Impersonates God. Now, when I say we impersonate God, I, I don't mean that we're doing like a Frank Caliendo or Rich Little impersonation or 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 you know like imitation. Although it is, we are imitating God. We are mimicking the character and nature of God. But really, I thought about this. What if instead of impersonating, we, we were to think about it in these terms? What about in personating God, that when we give gifts with no strings attached, we're actually representing God in person. We are impersonating God, so we're we're doing what Jesus talked about in His model prayer: "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." We were Impersonating God, we're bringing, we're representing God to a world that desperately needs the love, the grace, and the truth of God. And so, when we give these gifts, we we have the opportunity to impersonate God. James chapter one verse seventeen. Read the highlighted words with me, okay? Whatever is good and perfect is a gift. Coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Who, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. Think about the good stuff in your life. We just finished Thanksgiving. This shouldn't take too long. The good stuff. I wonder... How many of y'all saw the sky last night just after the sun set? Did anybody see that? You had this incredible palette of colors, this kind of white-blue, this, this really, really distinct color that I, I think has to come straight from heaven. It's, it, you would call it like a, like a burnt orange, I think is what you would call it. Um, No, it wasn't. With all due respect, I love you, and you're wrong. Nobody with a burgundy-colored maroon jersey should be in the college football playoffs, but that's a whole other sermon series. This year, this year, I mean this year, come on. Anyway, I've got so many great lines right now, and I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. No, maybe afterwards I'll see you at the door. Um, But when you think that every good thing we enjoy in this life comes from God, obviously we would say Jesus is at the top of that list. Forget things for a second. What about about the strong, healthy relationships that you have? They're not all strong and healthy. I know that because you're in them. I'm in them. God has yet to make a perfect person. He didn't make Jesus, so don't send me an email on that one. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father. So when we give a good gift. When we give a good gift with no strings attached just because we love somebody, we're impersonating God. Number 2, giving is a gift to yourself. Giving is a gift to yourself. Acts chapter 20 verse 35, these are the words of the apostle Paul. It says you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Read the highlighted words with me. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. If you've been around here for a while, you remember back earlier in the year, we did an entire sermon series around that word, blessed. We called it the God of Happy. Because in the original Greek language that the New Testament was written in, when the word blessed is used, it means Spiritual, profound soul happiness, satisfaction, peace, fulfillment. It's not just like, you know, rainbows and unicorns forever happy. It is soul deep happy. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If you've ever talked to someone who's taken a mission trip almost without fail, they will say the following phrase or something very close to it, I got more out of it than the people we were helping every single time. That's not unspiritual. That's the way God wired us up. We do better when we give good gifts. I want to just mention to you, this, this is a list that comes from the Cleveland Clinic. It's not going to be on the screen, but I just want you to listen to the physical benefits of giving, of generosity. Giving stimulates the release of serotonin, which helps to regulate moods. I'll just put that out there for whoever needs it. It stimulates the release of dopamine, which is the pleasure hormone. It re- stimulates the release of oxytocin, that connection hormone that we feel connected to other people when it's released in our systems. Lowers blood pressure, similar to the effects of a healthy diet and exercise. People who are generous have a longer lifespan, lower stress, and giving stimulates endorphins. Endorphins that boost self-esteem, that elevate happiness, and fight depression. Do Do you think for a second, just take what you know about God. We know that God loves. We know that God is good. We know that God created us. Do you think for a second that all of those things happen in us physiologically, accidentally? God knows. God knows. And so when he calls us to generous living, generous giving, he realizes it's not only going to help the people that we help, it's going to help the people who give. Giving is a gift to yourself. And then number three. Evangelism is the greatest gift. You will never, ever give another gift better than an introduction to Jesus Christ. That's the greatest gift you'll ever give. I don't care if you're, if you're a husband and you have got this massive stone that you're going to put on your wife's finger Christmas morning. That's not what I'm doing for Julie, just for the record. But even if it is that for you, man, that's great. You go get them, cowboy. Nothing compares to the gift of Jesus Christ. Nothing. When we talk about inviting people to church, we're talking about inviting them to meet Christ. That's why we practice tag team evangelism around here. There are people that you know who don't yet know how extravagantly God loves them. People that God has supernaturally and sovereignly put in your path, within your sphere of influence. That God wants to use you to evangelize them. To to just, just invite them to meet Christ. If you invite somebody to church here, I promise you they will encounter Christ almost every week I'm not going to say every week but almost every week that someone brings the word of God on this stage we introduce the gospel we, we invite people to follow Christ I promise you I promise you every single Christmas it happens you, you get them in the door tag out we got it from there but that's the beginning You see, for some of you, your next step spiritually is going to be leading someone to Christ in a conversation. Getting a cup of coffee with somebody that you know, somebody that you truly love, and leading them to Christ. You're not going to save them or not save them. That's God's work. Our work is to collaborate with the Holy Spirit of God and tell them, and tell them. This is how the book of Romans puts it. In Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and following, it says this. For everyone, say everyone. Everyone Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who, what? Read it with me. Bring good news. Bring good news. I want you to turn to your neighbor and with a smile on your face, encourage them. Tell them, bring good news. Now, some of you right now are thinking, I I thought that was like for the the preacher types, the the ones who were on staff. Well, it is. And it's for every follower of Christ, it is for every single follower of Christ to bring good news. how you doing on that? I'm not not mad, I'm, I'm not hammering, I'm just saying, how you doing on that? See, the great thing about this is we have the most prime opportunity of the year to put it into practice right now. Right now. I promise you, I promise you if you are remotely open to the Holy Spirit in this moment, God has brought people into your mind as we've been talking about this that you know who don't yet know how much he loves them. Start praying for them. I mean, by name. Pray for them. We're talking about altering the trajectory, not just of someone's life, although that's definitely there, We're talking about altering eternity for somebody. Somebody who, right now, might be facing eternity separated from God because nobody ever told them. Somebody who may be experiencing life alone, on their own, because nobody's told them. Because nobody's just made the time to just go, hey, man, I'd love for you to come to church with me. I think you'd like it. The music is incredible. The preaching is passable. You need to come to this church. You don't have to tell them initially or or right up front, I want you to go to heaven with me. Don't start there. but you know the end game. You know the motivation and the reason behind it. It's not to put a notch in your spiritual belt. The reason is because God so loved him that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life. That's why. That's why. See, Advent, preparing our hearts and our minds for Christmas, absolutely, we we pray and we put blocks out in our house or whatever you do, however you do this, but it's not just about us. If, If it's just about us, beam us home, Scotty. Take me, take me home. But we got work to do here. And by the way, it's the most fun work you'll ever do. I'm telling you, you watch a friend of yours, you watch a family member of yours step over the line of faith and begin to follow Christ, it'll mess you up in the most beautiful way imaginable. What if this became the Christmas, that that became a habit for you? What if it was because of this Advent season that you started to work that into your prayer life, into your friend life, into your family life? I know you got some family who need the Lord. And if you don't think you do, you're it. (laughs) Kidding but not. We got work to do, folks. And what beautiful, 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 beautiful work to do. How beautiful are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. Nobody has beautiful feet. Nobody. Until they bring good news until they bring the good news of a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads with me for a moment? If you're here in this place or watching online and you've never stepped into that relationship, we want you to have that opportunity. We don't want to just talk about it and celebrate it. We want you to participate in it. If that's you this morning, then you just pray right where you're sitting. Just say silently from your heart to God something like this. Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin to you. I'm not holding any of it back. I'm not trying to hide it because you know it all anyway. So that I can receive, I can appropriate your Grace and forgiveness. And Lord, in exchange for your life given for me, I give my life to you. I will follow you from this moment forward. And I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment, but it's a sacred moment when God is moving in people's lives and tell you, if that was your prayer, then as a church, we want to help with the next steps because this is just the beginning for you. When we dismiss in just a second, there's there's a place out in the lobby to your right when you walk through those doors, and we've got a gift for you. It's just a new believer's packet, a new believer's gift set or kit to help you take the next steps in this new journey, in this new relationship. But if that was your prayers, our heads are bowed for another just second, would you raise your hand? If you just prayed to follow Christ for the first time in a new minute, just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a second. And know that as a church, we honor that. We celebrate it with you. And our family tradition around here is as our new members of the family put their hands down, we're going to put our hands together and tell you, Welcome home. Welcome home.